We all have like teams like we hate or whatever, or places. I was thinking about this in preparation for this, um, this, this message. I was on a mission trip several years ago to Nairobi, Kenya. And it was going sort of good, but on this particular day, we'd been out and about doing a bunch of stuff. We were in a bus. We were coming back into Nairobi. Um, the air conditioner on the bus was broken. It was super hot. Dust was coming in the windows. And I remember being on a mission trip, supposedly serving Jesus and loving God and thinking in my mind, I hate this place. Like, I hate this place. Now, I don't hate it, but in that moment, you get caught up in that moment. You hate it. Or people, people. Like, I I was in the gym recently, and I'm kind of walking around in the gym. I'm getting ready to kind of go up to a machine and use it. And I notice out of the corner of my eye, there's a guy on the machine, and I'm like, it's no problem. He'll let me work in, or he'll be done by the time I get there. I get to the machine, and he's on his phone. He's on his phone. He's using his phone. And um, I just ask him, I said, hey, man, I said, uh, can, I, can I work in? Can I get a set in? And he looks back at me, and he goes, I'm using this right now. And then he looks back down on his phone. He's on Snapchat, and I about snapped his chat right there on the spot. And in, the, in that moment, in that moment, I was like, I hate this guy. Now, I don't really hate him. I don't even really know his name. But we've all experienced that with people, places, and things. I hate this person. I hate this place. I hate this thing. And that's, that's why we're talking about this series called Haters. Because to be very honest with you, out of all of my haters, and we all have haters, the person that I've discovered who's my biggest hater is me. All of us have probably wrestled with this thing called self-hate at some point in our lives. Um, I once had a therapist tell me, if you talked to other people the way you talk to yourself, you would have no friends. And, you know, he, he was right. I, I do have a tendency to do some negative self-talk. And all of us, all of us, if we're honest, have that tendency as well. So in this series called Haters, I'm going to talk about what it's, what, why we hate ourselves many times, and then how do we overcome that? Now, the reason I think it's important is because if we don't get past this thing called self-hate, it really can hold us back in our walk with Jesus. We did a series several months back, and so I won't recap the whole story, but basically, Peter and Jesus get in a boat. They go out, and Jesus says, put your nets out for a catch, and Peter says, because you say so, I will, and he puts his nets down. They catch a bunch of fish, and the Bible says this, and, and Jesus, Jesus was asking Peter, you know, I, I want you to follow me, and, and the Bible says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter, Peter realized what had happened, He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Right here, we see an indication of self-hate, or or strong dislike at least. And because of that, because of self-hate, Peter, who's standing right in front of Jesus, wants Jesus to walk away. He almost misses an opportunity because he can't get past who he is. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote this phrase in, in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. And one of the most honest, impactful, transparent passages in the Bible, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And there's a lot of people that when we look in the mirror, we don't like who we see. So before we talk about how to deal with self-hate, 
Let's talk about some of the reasons for self-hate. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one, comparison. Comparison. Now, I am the world's worst at, at this, at, at comparison. Like, for example, let's say we're taking a trip from Anderson to Atlanta. Typically, it's going to take two hours, give or take, you know, depending on traffic. But the address that we're coming from in Atlanta, or Anderson to Atlanta, let's say you put it in the GPS, and it says two hours and eight minutes. Here's, just, here's, here's where I live. If I don't beat two hours and eight minutes, I'm depressed for the rest of the day. Like, if you're in my car and you got to pee, Sucks to be you because we're going we're gonna to beat two hours and eight minutes. And here's what's really horrible. If we make it like two hours and five minutes, then the next time I go, I got to make it in two hours and three minutes. I'm always, always, always comparing. Now, we, we do that. We kind of laugh at that story, and it's kind of funny. And how many of you do that, by the way? Anybody in this? Okay, lots of people in this room. Lots of people probably watching online, too. Here's, the, here's reality, though, when it comes to comparison. It's different when we're looking at the GPS, but oftentimes we compare ourselves maybe to other people. Now, you can tell people that I, I can't believe I'm sharing this story, but this, this really did happen. You, a lot of people deal with self-hate, and one of the ways they deal with self-hate is they attack other people. They'll, they'll criticize them and they'll tear them down. I was, I was on a mission trip one time at the beach we were supposed to be walking around telling people about Jesus, and I'm standing with a group of people. A girl walks by in a bikini, and the woman standing next to me goes, those aren't real. I was like, huh? She said, those aren't real. I, what, what's, what's not real? She said, her boobs, they're not real. I'm like, I, I, she said, look at them. I was like, I don't, think, I don't think I'm supposed to do that right now. We're on a mission trip for Jesus, and I, you just, you know what? I'm going to take your word for it. But, but... I knew this person. She was very insecure about how she looked. And so one of the ways we deal with self-hate is oftentimes we'll criticize other people um, in, in just through comparison. Um, I, a, a lot of people look at other people and they say uh, they look better than me or they're smarter than me. Maybe you grew up with a sibling and your older brother or your older sister, were they, they, were, they were just smart. They were perfect. They were awesome. Um, a lot of moms really struggle with comparison because you know other mom, you know other ki their kids, moms with kids, their kids look awesome and they always look nice and their shirts are always tucked in. They say yes, ma'am or yes, sir, and they always dress perfect. Your kids are dressed homeless. Um, you're, you're just lucky to kind of get them out the door. Like you got four kids. If you make it to church with three of them, you just call that a win. You'll find the fourth one later when you get home, and we'll compare ourselves and. And this is especially true, this is especially true, because most of us, if we're honest, we know somebody that's godlier than us. And so we look up to them, and it just seems like God always answers their prayers. It seems like they always get what they want. They, they, they can quote the Bible just like we can quote movies. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and, or, or, and this, is, this is even worse. We'll hate ourselves when we compare ourselves to who we used to be spiritually. Because if there was a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now, it's highly likely you'll look at who you used to be and who you are now and kind of condemn yourself because you're, you don't feel like you're as good as you used to be. That's why I love the Apostle Paul who wrote this in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. He said, pay careful attention to your own work. 
In other words, look at what's going on in your life. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Now, this is what I want to pause, and a lot of people go, well, I'm not doing a, you, I can't say that my walk with Christ is a job well done. You can if you just take your next step, like we talked about last week. It's not about how much of the Bible you know. It's not about how, how long you pray. It's not about listening to Christian music more than you listen to secular music, whatever that is. It's simply, are you taking your next step? We're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people spiritually. We're supposed to compare ourselves to what Jesus has asked us to do next. And as long as we're taking our next step, that is a job well done. So you might not be as far along as other people are, but maybe Jesus doesn't need you there yet. So comparing ourselves to other people spiritually is never a setup for a win. That's why I said you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So comparison is one of the reasons that a lot of people hate themselves. Comparison to other people, comparison to who we used to be. The second reason for self-hate is criticism. Criticism. One of the biggest lies that I was told as a kid, and if you tell, if you tell your kids this now, this, but most of you don't because you're way better parents than this. This is one of the biggest lies I heard growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Exactly. That's, how many would agree that's a lie? That, that is, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why? Because I can still remember people, things that people said to me in the in the first grade, I was six years old. I was in a school play, and we were reenacting the Boston Tea Party. So me and my mom had to go to Bilo, and she bought a box of Lipton tea because that's obviously what they threw in the harbor. And we emptied out all the tea bags, and I had a little box. And my, my line in the play was, tyranny, tyranny. I had no idea what it meant, but that was my line in the play because my original line was taxation without representation, but I couldn't say that because I got tongue-tied, so they stuck me with tyranny, tyranny. And we all dressed up like Indians or um, Native American. I don't know what you're supposed to say now, but at the time we were told we were Indians. And, and on my way to the school that night, my dad said, you know what? I want you, to, I want you to be the best Indian in the play. I was like, me too. So we swung by a store called TGNY, which is like pre-Walmart. It was a department store. We go in. He gives me a bow and arrow, a fake one, like the, the little arrows with the suction cups on the end. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he gives me like a fake plastic knife. And so I put the knife on. I put the arrow and bow, and I walked in. And I remember feeling so cool because none of the other kids had it. And I was special until Daniel Garbadian. That was his name. I don't even know what he's doing now. He might be watching it. If you're watching, Daniel, I remember this. You did this. You said this. And don't lie. Daniel Garbadian walked up to me and said, congratulations, Perry. You just ruined the whole play. So I punched him. And, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I wanted to. I just, now here's what's crazy about that. I tell that story and we can all laugh. That was 41 years ago. I still remember a critical comment from 41 years ago. Now, if you think criticism was bad 41 years ago, now with the um, 
with social media, and by the way, the internet's not a fad. It's not going away. Social media is here to stay. That rhymed. I didn't even, I, I just got Dr. Dre flowing through me right now. I have no idea. No, I'd have cussed if it had been Dre. But anyway, that it's here to stay, and it's made criticism. People can say anything they want about you or to you with zero accountability, and there's nothing we can do. And, and the problem is we get so hyper-focused on what people say about us that we'll lose sight of what God says about us. That's one of the biggest problems. We get so hyper-focused on what other people say that we lose sight of what God says. And it, listen, criticism is a big deal. There are people, teenagers today, taking their lives because of online bullying. I mean, it's a big deal. Now, listen, we all need correction. If I'm doing something wrong, if you're doing something wrong, I, I've appreciated the people that have stepped in my life and said, hey, that's wrong. Listen, but, but correction is done out of love. Criticism is done out of a desire to be right. And criticism, because of the criticism of others, will take their word about us over God's word about us, will believe what they say, and it turns to self-hatred. The third reason, the third reason that um, we hate ourselves is blame. Blame. Now, Blame is, it, a lot of people love to blame people for things. So it's not my fault that this happened. It's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's their fault. It's that. And that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time because sometimes it's actually fun to play the victim and whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are people, there are those of us, because I tend to fall in this category where I will apologize for stuff I didn't even do. Like I remember one time somebody backed into me in a parking lot. They, they back into my car. I get out of my car. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have been here. Like, like I, I just, but that's just me. I just kind of carry that. And so there are people watching today. There's something happened in your life, in your past, and you take all, it was my fault. It was my fault the marriage didn't work. It was my fault my kid went crazy. It was my fault I lost the job. It was my fault. It was my fault. And you know what? The problem is we say it's all our fault and blame will cause us, over time, if we don't stop blaming ourselves, we will eventually hate ourselves. I'm not saying it can't be your fault, but if it was your fault, receive the, God, receive the forgiveness of the Lord and let's try our best to move on because if we don't deal with blame, it leads to number four, shame. Blame is what we say. Shame is what we feel. Blame is what we say. Shame is what we feel. Now, I, I started out to share this story because it, it might give me a little trouble, but it's true, and it's a little funny and a little psychologically disturbing. I had a friend that had a dog one time, and I love dogs, okay? I love dogs. But he, he had this dog, and he, he told me, and he shouldn't have told me this, because if you tell me something, I'm skeptical. I'm a, I'm gonna have, I got to do it for myself. So he told me this dog, he said, I've taught my dog to feel ashamed when he does stuff wrong. I'm like, there's no way your dog feels shame. He goes, no, watch. He said, watch him in a few minutes. So the dog did, I, I think he peed in the floor or something like that. I'm, I'm not even sure what he did. And my friend looked at him and said, shame. And the dog like ducked his head and walked away. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. So. Here's the part that's disturbing. When my friend wasn't around, I would just walk up beside the dog and go, 
Shame. And it really, like, the dog would duck its head and walk away. So within three months, the dog was so jacked up, it wasn't even funny because I would, every time I got near it, I'd be like, shame. And the dog would, like, duck its head. and walk. Now, some of you are thinking, I need to teach my dog that. Some of you are thinking, I need to teach my kids that. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that's the way some of us feel that God is treating us. Like, like with our past sins, with our past mistakes, with our past failures, that God is standing on the edge of heaven and going, shame. But he's not. The last thing God wants us to do is walk around in shame because shame shackles us to our past and doesn't allow us to walk in the freedom that Jesus actually has called us to live in. Shame, will, shame is what causes us to keep things silent and not speak it out loud. I'm talking about this a little bit more uh, next week. But when I was molested as a kid, I didn't tell anybody until I was in my 20s because I thought it was my fault and I carried the shame. And because I was silent about something that was causing me to suffer, it actually caused me to suffer long-term because I didn't speak it out loud. But the reason I didn't speak it out loud is because I carried so much shame. There are people watching that when it comes to your past or maybe your present, you just deal with a lot of shame. And shame always leads to self-hate. And the reason we got to deal with self-hate is if we don't deal with self-hate, we'll medicate. And we'll medicate on things that are destructive. And so how do we deal with self-hatred? Well, let's go back to Peter for a second, because Peter looked at Jesus and said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And I love Jesus' response, because he didn't say, yes, you, I, you know what? You're right. You are. Jesus didn't even address this comment. The Bible says, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And just a casual reading of the rest of the Gospel of Luke, you'll read Peter didn't always get it right. But Jesus never shamed him or blamed him. He corrected him, not criticized him out of love, and continued challenged him to take his next step in his walk with, it, with himself. I love Paul because Paul said, what a wretched man I am. But the rest of that phrase, he said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Because Paul understood he needed to be rescued. And all of us need to be rescued from this thing called self-hate. It's just not something... By the way, I just want to pause and say this. For those that really deal with like trauma from the past or issues from the past, aren't you just tired of people that look at you and tell you, just get over it? I'm just telling you, maybe your life has been perfect. You were born in, on a bed of roses, and you recited the Lord's Prayer. That was your first words, and, you, you know, and angels surrounded your crib. I am glad you've had a great life, but for people who have experienced legitimate trauma, get over it is one of the most sinful, stupid things that you could say. To, I, I, I'm just speaking up for people that have actually dealt with trauma in their past. Get over it doesn't work. Because if it did, the world would just be a much better place. 
I'm so pissed. Get over it. I, you know what? I'm happy. I, oh my gosh. I don't know. That was the greatest. That's the greatest thing ever. So anyway, it's just, I, that's not even in my notes. I probably need to stick to my script. This, um, so Paul said, what a wretched man. Who will rescue me? Because we, we all need to be rescued. If the apostle Paul needed to be rescued, all of us need to be rescued, right? Who will rescue me from this body is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, Paul said, I can't rescue me. It's going to take Jesus to rescue me. And Jesus rescues people through different means. So, so how do we get past the shackles of shame and step into freedom? Now, there's lots of ways and there's all kinds of stuff you can find online. But I want to tell you what's worked for me, what's helped me to step out of self-hatred or at least start the process. Number one, number one is embrace community. Embrace community. When my mom died when I was 11, my dad, looking back, I think he went kind of crazy. Um, and one of the ways he dealt with the pain of my mother's death uh, was he, he dove into just consuming a ton of alcohol. So we lived in Easley, and Easley there was a bar. And when I say, when I say it was a redneck bar, it was a redneck bar. It's called Don's Place. I don't even know if it's there anymore. And my dad would go to Don's Place about four or five nights a week. Now, because he was a single dad, who went with him to Don's Place? Your boy. At 14 years old, I would drive my dad home from, from the bar. Now, some of you are going, well, technically, you're not supposed to drive at 14. You're right, Einstein. You're not supposed to drive at 14. But my dad figured it's either let my 14-year-old drive or get a DUI. So I, I was driving at 14, which, honestly, I thought was kind of cool. Looking back, it wasn't. But, but at the time, I felt like it was cool. So I remember one night sitting at the bar with my dad, drinking my Mr. Pibb on the rocks, and having a conversation with a bartender, and I just, you know, my dad was, you know, doing this. I think he was playing pool. I'm sitting at the bar, and I looked at the bartender. I said, how long have you been a bartender? And he kind of laughed. He said, son, I ain't no bartender. And I was, you know, I knew I wasn't the smartest person in the room, but he was behind the bar getting people's drinks, and so I felt like he was the bartender. So I said, um, okay, well, what do you do? He said, I'm a counselor. I said, oh, awesome. So like you do counseling during the day and then you come in 10 bar at night. He goes, no, 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 son. He said, I'm a counselor right here. And I said, what do you mean? I never will forget this conversation. I can see it in my mind. He said, son, look around this bar. And I looked around. He said, it's the same people here every night. He said, it's the same people. He said, every once in a while, somebody new will come in. And that's a little awkward for a day or two. He said, but you know what I've noticed? He said, these people come in every night, and once you get a drink or two in them, and he paused, he looked at me, he said, son, alcohol is a truth serum. He said, they come around this bar every night, they get a couple drinks in them, and they just tell me their problems. And eventually they tell everybody their problems. And you know what? They all love each other, and nobody judges each other. And then he leaned in, he said, son, there's some pretty blanked up people around this bar. I never have forgotten that conversation. 
Because I thought, what if there was a place like that called church? Where we could walk in and sit around together, and instead of getting the spirits in us, we got the spirit in us. You know what I'm saying? A little different. And we were, we were, we were able to be honest with one another about what's really happening in our lives. When I went to rehab, the best part of rehab and the worst part of rehab was my community group. Because the community group, we had the no BS rule. So the community group would, would, would literally get in your face. There were, there were tough times. There were challenging times. But, but I never will forget, you know who cheered the loudest when I graduated and when I got my coin? My community group. And, and the, reason, the reason it was so intense in that room during my treatment sessions, during, well, during our treatment sessions, the reason it was so intense in that room is because it was a judgment-free zone and you could say anything you wanted without any repercussions. And so I started thinking, man, what if the church was a place where instead of bringing shame in and leaving with more of it, because has anybody ever left church? Because I know I've left church a lot of times going, do I do anything right? Like, do I do anything? I don't think I do anything right. Dear God, hate. Instead of, because this is what I've discovered. This is what I've discovered. When we speak about shame, the shackles get shattered. And we're able to actually walk in freedom. But a lot of people carry shame because they've never really, they've never really understood what it means to embrace community in their lives. And that's what I want. I want small groups of people that are able to get together and instead, hey, how are you doing? Instead of saying fine, really talk about how you're doing. Because I know from personal experience that when you begin to speak about something that's held you back for years, it loses its power to hold you back. Embrace community. Number two, accept empathy. Now, I think a lot of you are going to resonate with this. At one time in my life, at one time in my life, I was a marriage expert. I knew everything there was to know about marriage. I would write about it. I would preach about it. I'd tell stories about it. And then I got married. And I realized I'm not an expert. Same thing with kids. Same thing with kids. If you've got kids, you, you, at one time, I was a child-raising expert. Now I would be out at a restaurant, and a kid would freak out, and I'd be like, bad parents. It's just bad parents. That's all it is. Probably abusive. I mean, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what that is right there. And, and I, was, I was the expert on raising children until I had a child. And then sometimes my child would cry at the restaurant and people would look at me and I'd be like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm a horrible dad. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what, but it, we're always experts until we get into situations. I used to be an expert at life and then I got older. Oh my God. When I was in high school, I knew everything, everything. Did, do you, does anybody resonate with this? Were you, don't you, in high school, you knew everything. And the older you get, don't you realize the older you get, the smarter your parents really were? It's like, oh my gosh, they told me. Anyway, th th this is that thing though, when it comes, I can understand people like with children that have issues with children now, because I'm a parent. I can understand people that have issues with marriage because 
I've been married. I, I know what it's like to go through tough times. The reason I'm saying this is because when we go through tough times, this is, this is the thing, if you can get anything I say today, I want you to get this. When we go through tough times and we experience shame and we experience self-hate, we tend to want to run from God. When in actuality, that should be the very thing that drives us to God. Let me say it again. When we go through seasons of self-hate and shame, we tend to want to run away from God when in actuality, that should be what draws us to God because God's not standing once again on the edge of heaven going, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. In fact, Jesus understands what we're going through. I love what, um, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, um, but the author of the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, Verse, six, uh, verse 14 through 16. He said, so, since, so then, since we have a great high priest, this is in reference to Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now watch this. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. In other words, Jesus gets you. You can't Go to Jesus going, I'm really struggling in this area. And he'll go, and, and him go, I can't, I can't, after all I've done for you, really? You're going to say you're struggling there? That's not, he, he gets us. Here's why. Because he became one of us. Jesus is, God, is the God man. God became man and dwelt among us. So he understands us. He understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do. Like Jesus faced the temptations that we face, yet he did not sin. Now, let me pause. I've heard pastors say, Jesus didn't sin, so you can't sin. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that statement right there is a sin because you're telling people to do something they can't do. So shut up. Anyway, it's a little rant. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne, not timidly, boldly. Scripture says we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his condemnation. No, Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says if we come boldly to the throne, if we'll come to Jesus with our sin, if we'll come to Jesus with our shame, the Bible says that we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. In other words, God doesn't turn his back on his children, ever, ever. He understands what we're going through, which is an invitation not to run from him, but to come to him with the things that cause us oftentimes to hate ourselves. The third thing, the third thing is understand, or number two, understand value. Number three Number three, I'm sorry, was understand value. Number three, I had the number wrong in the presentations, my bad. Number three is understand value. Now, some of you are looking and trying to figure out what that is. That's my new car. I'm just kidding. I don't have that car. This car right here is called a Bugatti. I thought Bugatti was an Italian dish for the longest time. I was like, I want some Bugatti with my lasagna. This car right here, this particular car costs 
$1.4 million. Now, there's some people going, I wouldn't pay $3.4 million for it. It's because you don't have it. It's, it's real easy. Like, I wouldn't either, but I don't, it's because I don't have it. I guess if you're a, like a squillionaire or something like that, like you could just buy one of those and drive it on Tuesday. Um, but the value of that car, and you know why? You know why it's worth $3.4 million? Because somebody will pay it. Because they understand that's a valuable car. And I had to write this down so I wouldn't forget this because I'm not an art expert. This right here is a painting. Anybody know who you know this is? Anybody know who this is? I know, y'all, y'all know who it is? Monet. I thought it was Monet when I first saw it. But hey, listen, I'm from the South. I'm like, who's, who's Claude Monet? Um, this is a painting he did, a watercolor called Water Lilies. It recently sold for $43 million. Now, it looks like something that my 11-year-old could have done, to be honest with you. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, but, but you know what? Somebody, somebody thought that was valuable enough to pay $43 million for. The value of something is determined by the price that somebody's willing to pay. And somebody thought that was worth $43 million. This is my favorite, though, this, this house, this house right here. This is a house in Hawaii, which, I mean, don't you, have, don't you feel sorry for somebody living in Hawaii, right? The value on this home, when it went on the market, $70 million. Like, I couldn't afford, I did the math, I couldn't afford a day in the house. $70 million. But somebody was willing to pay it. The value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. Can we all agree whether it's a Bugatti, whether it's um, a Monet painting, whether it's a house, or whether it's the person that we saw in the mirror today? Because of the most popular verse in Scripture says this, For God so loved the world. I want to pause right there for just a second. I want, I want to ask Everybody participate. You don't even have to be a Christian to participate in this. Where it says, for God so loved the world, so the world, put your name. Just in your mind, put your name. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Now, for those of you that are parents, do you value your children? I mean, are you going to give them up for anyone or anything? But God gave his son for us that whoever, put your name right there, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay and God gave his only son for you and for me, That means that despite what we've told ourselves about ourselves, we have value. Jesus goes on to emphasize it in the next verse, which I think is just as strong as this verse. John 3, 17, where it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Once again, put your name everywhere you see the world. For God did not send his son to you to condemn you, but to save you. Now, let me, let me just help everybody. And this is something I've discovered personally. If God did not send Jesus here to condemn you, then he didn't send you here to condemn you either. We are not called to condemn ourselves, but to understand ourselves in light of who Jesus sees us to be. So how do we get past self-hate? Embracing community, understanding empathy and value. But I think it begins for me, for me, for me, the thing I have to keep going back to is this simple prayer I wrote down about a year and a half ago, and this is where I have to go so often personally. This is just, this is, you, you won't Google this or find this. This is just something out of, something I wrote down one day that's helping me deal with it because I still struggle with it just like everybody else. And, and here's the real reason. The real reason we wrestle with self-hate is because we know who we really are. Like we got that pretense self that we put on, but then we know what we thought, about, we know what we did, we know what we thought about doing. So the prayer that I've learned how to pray on a consistent basis is this. Jesus, help me not to hate what you deeply love and what deeply matters to you, starting with me. Now, some people, some people might push back and go, that's a selfish prayer. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty unselfish. Because Jesus said, love others like you love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, you're going to tend to hate other people. So I think that one of the most incredible prayers that we could pray is for Jesus to help us not to hate what he deeply loves and what deeply matters to him, starting with a way. In other words, Jesus, help me to see me the way you see me. Because at the end of the day, it's not about who hates us and it's not about who we hate. It's about dealing with the self-hate that shackles so many of us. And I'm telling you, there's a way to step out of that and into freedom. And it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, I just want to pray for those of us who really at times just wrestle with this so much. I pray that you would give people the courage, Jesus, just to pray this prayer. Help me not to hate what you deeply love and what deeply matters to you, starting with me. Maybe you're sitting there and you need to pray, Jesus, help me to see me the way you see me. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life. You, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life because you, you hate you, so you figure God must hate you. That's not the deal. That's not the deal at all. All you have to do to become a follower of Jesus is ask Jesus to come into your life. And he leads us step by step from that point on. So if you're here today and you're watching and you want to receive Christ, I want to invite you to pray right where you are, just like people do every single week. And then just right in your seat or where you're sitting or where you're watching, just say in your heart, Jesus Christ, I need you. 
I confess you are Lord. I confess you are God. And I want to follow you. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I received that payment. Show me how to live for you, Jesus, the rest of my life. In your name. Now, head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're at Life Spring, you just prayed that prayer. Would you just raise your hand and raise it high if you're at Life Spring Church? If you would do that, just so we can celebrate with you. And if you're online, if you're on, on the Second Chance website, if you'll do the hand raise, if you'll hit the hand raise button. If you're on Facebook, if you'll do a hand raise, just so we can know that you prayed to receive Christ today, because we want to celebrate that with you and, um, and follow up and help you take your next step. Jesus, thank you so much for the people that have prayed to receive you today. Jesus, thank you so much that you knew us, you created us, and you love us unconditionally. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, let me, let me just say this. For those of you that, that wrestle with this, I don't think a sermon on self-hate is gonna make it go away, but it at least starts the process. And if this is something that you wrestle with, I would tell you, have a conversation with somebody you trust about it before the end of the day. Have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a pastor or, or a priest or whatever. Have a conversation with somebody you trust about it before the end of the day because I'm telling you, if you'll talk about the things that shame you, shame's shackles are broken. Hey, I wanted to give a real quick update and, and celebrate the bill, the, a lot of people have been asking, when are we moving into the building? When are we finally going to get the building? I had somebody um, hit me up on social media yesterday. Hey, I'm looking forward to coming to the building tomorrow. Well, if you went there today, I, I actually told them, I'm like, well, if you go, um, you're going to see a, like a big dumpster outside and the doors are locked and it's a lot of construction. We're still getting in there. Um, but for the 250K fund, and for those of you who don't know, we've got a fund called the 250,000 fund because we needed to raise 250,000 to complete the construction and get the, you know, the nursery equipment and get the sound and the chairs, unless y'all want to stand, um, to get chairs and stuff like that. So, so far, so far, this is where we are. We're at $153,784.98. And so, and this has happened, this has happened because everybody has, or we've had so many people jump in and participate. Now, let me just say this about the 250K fund. Um, we're going to get into this building. We're going to move in. We're, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to get there because everybody's doing something. Because if you're looking at that, you're going, oh, we're less than $100,000 away. If I had that, I'd give it. Well, if you don't have 100000 but you got 10 bucks, jump on board and get on that 250K fund. You can give at our website. In fact, there's two places you can give. Um, if you want to give or if you want to tithe to Second Chance Church, you can go to mysecondchancechurch.com, mysecondchancechurch.com. We had somebody that um, gave to the wrong church the other week, but I was like, hey, it all goes in the kingdom, so don't worry about it. Um, or you can mail a check um, for those of us that still do those things to this address right here, um, and we'll get that, and we'll, we'll, listen, we'll put that thing in the bank. Um, and, and for those of you that have been giving, thank you so much. For those of you that are continuing to give, thank you. We're getting closer and closer and closer to our goal. And hopefully it looks like November-ish is when we're going to be able to be in the building. So thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, Haters Part 2. You're going to love it. Kinda. We'll see you then. <laughs>